Welcome to Church Meets World, a podcast from America Media about where the Catholic Church meets the most interesting and consequential issues of our time. I'm Sebastian Gomes, an executive editor at America. And I'm Maggie Van Dorn, an audio producer at America. Remember a year ago when COVID-19 was decimating hospitals, clinics, and especially nursing homes. Some of the most heartbreaking stories we heard came from nursing homes. But rarely did we hear from the people who actually lived there. Well, we're going to hear from some of them in this episode of Church Meets World. With the restrictions around the pandemic lifting, we decided to send a team over to Terrence Cardinal Cook Healthcare Center, which is a skilled nursing facility and rehabilitation center right here in Manhattan. And it's run by the Archdiocese of New York. The team was led by Ricardo De Silva, SJ, who's an associate editor at America and narrates this episode. Right. And so for a little context, uh, the center that Ricardo went to, TCC, Terrence Cardinal Cook, it had 615 beds. And out of those 615 beds, 200 of them had patients who had tested positive for COVID starting in mid-March. So that's a third of the population there. And initially, the center thought that patients suffering from COVID would be transferred out of the center to hospitals for treatment. But then they quickly learned that those who just had mild or moderate symptoms would actually remain in the center, um, making it extra challenging to prevent the spread of COVID. And then furthermore, they learned that they would be receiving patients discharged from hospitals to help with the overcrowding in those institutions. And TCC received 62 patients in addition to the 615 bed capacity that they normally have. That's right. And Ricardo got to go right into the center, Terrence Cardinal Cook, to speak directly to some of the patients, to hear about the many struggles that they face, not only physically, but also spiritually. So here's Ricardo da Silva in an episode we're calling The Memory of God. She was knocking on the window trying to wake me up. For about a week, she came to the hospital and knocked on the window every day. Finally, I woke up. Thank God. My name is Sandra Ashmore, and I'm 77 years old. Born in Canton, Ohio. I lived in Detroit for about 25 years, and I moved to New York City, and I've been here ever since. Weeks before COVID-19 ravaged New York, Sandra Ashmore suffered a stroke, and she came to Terence Cardinal Cook Healthcare Center for rehabilitation. Here at TCC, I've been here for about almost a year. So you arrived near the beginning of the pandemic? Right, that's right. I, I, I had a stroke. And that's why I came here. Arriving there, she imagined that she'd be there for a few months at most, and then that she'd go home. Then I was doing pretty good here. I was up in the gym, learning how to walk, getting ready to thinking about going home. But there was a turn in her health. And the next thing I know, I was in the hospital again. That's when I woke up, okay? I ended up there five weeks from the COVID. A lady came from outside into the gym, and we ended up, six of us ended up with the COVID. Sandra fell victim and herself became infected with COVID-19. And then there's almost a break in her story, because the way she explained it to me, I was at the gym, and then I was in a hospital bed. 
and woke up weeks later not knowing what had happened. Do you remember that time no, at all? No, no, I don't remember none of it. Mm. Not remember any of it, okay? I remember being on the fourth floor mm. and sitting and looking out the window. I am Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit and an associate editor at America Media. I visited Terence Cardinal Cook Healthcare Center a few weeks ago to meet with residents there in the short-term and long-term care facility to hear their stories. Here at America, our editorial team has been talking for some time about how to cover this experience of coronavirus. We were especially interested in the experiences of those who lived in nursing homes, who were locked in for months and couldn't leave the situation that they were in. We wanted to understand what this experience was like, because we'd heard in the media many times of many nursing homes, but seldom had we actually heard the voices of patients in nursing homes. And this was our opportunity. So we're just walking up to the Terence Cardinal Cook Community Center. It's a very tall building, about nine floors, I think, is what I was told, and there are about 650 beds here, so at full capacity, uh, over 650 people can be at this center. And we wanted to find out something of their experience during this time of COVID. Across the road is Central Park, uh, but residents, even today, uh, almost at the beginning of June, they are still not allowed to leave the building. There is an outdoor garden. Um, and that's all, really. And here we are. When I arrived at Terence Cardinal Cook Healthcare Center, Adriana was there standing behind the turnstile to greet us. We got stuck in the Uber, and she'd been waiting there not a few minutes. She'd really been waiting for us probably half an hour. And she was just so patient and joyful. You name it, we probably did it. Uh, our big hit programs here were horticulture groups. Um, we have a horticulture therapist who would teach residents about different types of plants and actually gets a garden with them. Adriana Greco is the assistant director of therapeutic recreation and volunteer services. So always once a month, we would have some type of entertainer come, um, whether to celebrate Spanish Heritage Month or then the typical holidays, Christmas, New Year's, all that kind of stuff. Bingo is always a hit here, <laughs> common one, uh, arts and crafts. But then very quickly, everything like stopped and shut down and there was no programs at all, um, not even in the dining room. They had to pretty much stay isolated. We spent the afternoon at Terence Cardinal Cook Healthcare Center speaking to several residents who made themselves available for an interview with America. But here you'll hear the stories of three people that we think exemplify many of the stories we heard. You'll hear from Sandra Ashmore, Sherry Laprie, and Carlos Cardona. So tell me, what was the most difficult thing about this time for you personally? With the pandemic, my family, I can't see them. I mean, I could see them on the phone, but it's not the same. Yeah, you know why? Because at that particular point, I didn't know if I was going to stay 
or if I was going to go. So I had to make a decision. And that's one of the first things I recognized. Don't go anywhere, but just keep still. It was hard because you had to get stuck in the room. Couldn't move around like you used to. So it was hard. TV is great, but you get tired of it. You <laughs> become like a, you know, a robot. His name was David. He got sick and he passed away. But that was my best friend, David. He was funny. He was so nice. He used to get along with everybody. Nursing homes, hospitals, and rehabilitation centers like Terence Cardinal Cook, can be lonely at any time. But of course, these are extraordinary times, which makes pastoral care all the more important. As I was interviewing one of the residents, Juan Toro walked in. Juan is a one-time electrical engineer, Protestant minister, and now a chaplain at the center. I've seen it kind of as a pressure cooker because you take away any small amenity of freedom that people have. And, and it's just, it's tragic. Uh, many of them couldn't leave their room, all outside contact cut off because many of them don't have a cell phone or anything like that to communicate with. And so it's been a hotbed of, of emotions. The thing that really stayed with me from the interview with Juan was his capacity to listen at a very deep level. He listened to everything that was being said, but he listened to it from a place of empathy, which meant that as he listened, he was channeling his own pain. And he actually told me that. Well, the important thing in chaplaincy is being able to gauge with our radar where they might be emotionally. If I come into somebody's room at a very high, energetic, happy level, and they're not there. There's no chance of connection, right? And the basic assumption is that no matter how smiling they may be or how energetic they may seem underneath it all, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of struggle. I can't know your pain or your struggle, but I know my pain, my struggle. So what we're taught to do is to quickly access that within myself so that energetically, I can be at the same emotional level that you may, that I perceive you to be in. Because that's where we make the connection. And basically what I do is if I, if I feel that connection with the individual, then I say, would you be willing to give me a tour of your world? Sometimes I refer to it as give me a tour of your hell. Are you a Brit? I'm not, actually. I'm oh, from South Africa? Yes, indeed. Yeah, because I could tell by the uh, <laughs> accent. Although I spent a long time in the UK, so you're probably yes. hearing a mix of Yes, both. I'm getting a mix of both. <laughs> All right, I'm Sherry Laprie. Cherie Laprie. She was incredible. No, it's not French. I am Sicilian, 
Oh. Puerto Rican and Yiddish. I'm 62. I was born February 20th, 1959. Something that I'm grateful for is my family and, and life. I mean, I had two roommates. One died. The other one was very ill. And I didn't get sick. So I have to be grateful for that, you know? And even the doctor said, he said, wow, once, but twice. And he's right. And he told me, he goes, you should thank God. I said, I do. Oh, I'm always thanking God. I'm, I'm always talking to God. I could be in the elevator and people are talking and I'm talking to God, you know? I am really grateful for life, that I can breathe. And I just want to breathe all that out in Central Park. But I do have my moments. I have my moments, Ricardo, that um, I'm like way up here and then I go, wham! And that's what worries me. It was clear as I was speaking with her, she would be in this almost euphoric state, right? I mean, the, the singing, the smiles, the, the gesturing with her hands. It, it was very clear that she's somebody with this deep joy. Then I was like, should I stay or should I go? And I went with it. There, should I go? Dun 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 dun. <laughs> you know it, the class. I know, indeed, I do. <laughs> I love the class. And it became clear to me as I was talking to Cherie that she was suffering from some kind of mental health disorder. By her own admission during the interview, she in fact told me that she was suffering from bipolar disorder. My bipolar has gotten worse. I can't. Um, handle things the way I used to be able to. If there's a situation that is simple, that I would be able to walk away from, I get overly upset, where I never was like that. I mean, I get upset. That's not Sherry. I want to be like I was a happy-go-lucky person. I mean, I am a very funny person. I, I love life. And it's gotten me where I just, I don't even want to leave the room. And I wasn't like that. When that pandemic hit, it's like I gave up on me. It was difficult to ascertain clearly as a medical fact because we don't have access to the medical records because of HIPAA laws what conditions people were suffering with. But that aside, it was very clear that in many of the people I spoke with, there were deep and existing mental health conditions, and these were only magnified by the present crisis. The pain and suffering of the residents I spoke with was heavy and poignant as I heard it, but it was also clear that there was this great hope and resilience among almost everybody I spoke to. It came through very clearly with some. 
okay, so I can move my body around. Like Sandra Ashmore, the woman we heard from at the start, who suffered a stroke and was at the center for rehab when the pandemic broke loose. And then when you're sitting there, and you know, first wake up, and you start to, you, your mind needs saying you can do this. <laughs> your body says, no, you can't. So not only was she quarantined for much longer than expected, but she contracted COVID. And as she told me, she fell into a coma for weeks and woke with hardly any recollection of what had happened. Now, almost a year later, her spirits are high. I'm not going to give up, <laughs> okay? Well, keep you, trying you for to, it. You hope to go home. Oh, I'm going to go home, okay? <laughs> I'm not to hope to, I'm going to go home, okay? You don't look at it like that. <laughs> you never get anywhere in life if you look at it like, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, no, uh, you got to say, I'm going to do this. And get up and go do it. It's easy to understand Sandra's resilience as a moment of pop psychology. You know, that kind of go-getter attitude, yeah, you can do this. But that couldn't be further from the truth for Sandra. We tell ourselves certain things almost as if to believe that it's possible. In Sandra's case, it's doubtless for me. She will prosper. If I came back from COVID, I could come back from the NHL. I don't know when, <laughs> okay, but I'm on my way. There was a moment in our conversation where Juan tried to explain to me what he did as a chaplain. For him, it wasn't so much a motivational speech. Yes, yes, yes. It was really to encourage the people that he was meeting to tap into their own personal resources and find in themselves what he called their memory of God. If it's appropriate in a visit, what I'll do is ask them, well, have you been in this kind of place before emotionally? They say, oh yeah, I remember when somebody died or when I had this challenge or when this happened. I said, well, what, what did you do then to, to help yourself come through? And they'll say, well, maybe I, I prayed or somebody helped me or I read a book or this poem or I remembered something. And I said, well, I, I'm wondering if that, if that would be helpful to you now. What I'm trying to do is to help them remember that in that previous darkness, there, there was a light so that maybe they can apply that idea to this moment right now. As Juan spoke about his role as a chaplain, I kept thinking of my own tradition of Ignatian spirituality, the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. When St. Ignatius speaks about somebody in spiritual desolation, he says that there's very little appetite for God. There's a total absence of faith, hope, and love. It was clear to me that what Juan was doing when he was trying to evoke in his patients their memory of God, he was really trying to awaken in them faith, hope, and love, and the role of God in their lives, for themselves, and for their loved ones. Okay, there's a God somewhere. And in due time, things come around, and you find out that other people in your same position are worse, and they get better, so you can get better too. And then there was Carlos Cardona. For him, it wasn't about going back to a past reality. It wasn't a reality that he wanted to go back to, frankly. 
it was really about using the context of this pandemic, the experiences of this pandemic, to force a change in himself. The best thing that could have happened to me during the COVID, learned a lot about myself, because I stood to myself. How can I say it? Did a lot of thinking. It's hard for me to trust and open up to people. Carlos shared with me that his trust had been broken by many people in his life. He found it difficult to trust others with his life experience and really allow them into his life. Having been shut in during this pandemic, though, he realized that he couldn't wait to build trust with others, but that he needed to risk something of himself in order to build that trust. I'm talking more. I'm trusting more. I'm opening up more. I'm getting to know, and then the people that can know, get to know me, like I'm getting one to get to know them. If I can ask you, what do you want people to know about you now that maybe you were not prepared to share before? I'm a kind person. I'm a good-hearted person. But I let sometimes let people take advantage of that. That's why it was hard for me to open up. And have you had the opportunity to tell people that now? I felt good because this is something I was holding in for a long time. The kind of resilience and personal growth I witnessed in these residents made me wonder how they did it. Was it a lifetime of good habits that gave them the strength to persevere? Or was it that the quarantine interrupted their old habits and forced them to wrestle with who they might be in the face of hardship? Or was it the movement of the Holy Spirit quietly at work? The answer is yes. Yes to all of the above. One person I could count on to give me a tour of his inner life, or what he called a tour of the light, was, of course, the chaplain, Juan Toro. My light? You mean for me personally? Yeah. I'll tell you, um, when this thing started, I, I made a real strong commitment to pull out all of my spiritual toolbox, all my affirmations. I made a, a playlist. I called it Pura Vida Playlist, Pure Life, you know, and I put all my happy songs in there and up songs, and I would listen to it. And I would have uh, my hand-washing song. I'm COVID-free, COVID-free. Thank God I'm COVID-free. So I, I had this whole toolbox of stuff. When I got home, my, uh, my wife uh, would have me uh, address to my underwear in the hallway of our apartment while she sprayed everything with alcohol, got in, took a hot shower before you come in, right? Over time, that got old. And it just got, you know, tired, the, 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 the situation. And so where do you go? You go, you go inside. And it was just, um, just prayer. You know, God, you know, I still I still did my affirmations. I still listened to my songs. But really what it was was a was a deep recognition that here I am. Uh, I've been called to this work and God helped me. I kept wondering, who was the God that Juan encountered at this time? As a Jesuit, I'm familiar with the challenges of ministry, like Juan. Not this ministry, not ministry in COVID. Pastoral care in the time of COVID, where does one find God there? I just have it in my mind, you know, that, that we become a threat to each other by our breath. 
I mean, here we are sitting with masks on, right? And that, that, that's true, it's scientific and it's you know proven. And so how can I get over that and still be knowing that you're my brother and knowing that we're one in God, even though you may be a threat to me? And that, the price you pay is getting over that fear to allow yourself to come into connection. There's always a price to be paid, and the toll of this pandemic has been heavy, not just for the patients, their families and chaplains, but for everyone serving on the front lines. What's been the most difficult thing for you during this time? I would say probably feeling like you have to be like a strong pillar for people, but at the same time you're their emotional punching bag. Like the same people that, well, lack of better phrasing, expecting something from you, but yet they want to curse you out, they want to scream at you. Adriana's work had become a war zone. It not only posed a threat to her health, but she had to be careful about not bringing the virus home. I didn't hug my parents for I don't know how many months. Um, you know, I'm recently engaged, but at the time I didn't see, when we were just boyfriend-girlfriend then, we didn't see each other because he would see his 90-year-old grandparents and I didn't want a chance him getting sick to have them get sick. So it was like almost like doing like a long-distance relationship for a while there. It was, yeah, it's hard. We too easily forget that the staff members were suffering through this pandemic as well. They also needed to be cared for, really needed to be attended to in a way that's difficult because carers are seldom cared for. So it's like, I, I just need this to stop, like this pain and suffering to stop, the noise to stop, the people suffering to stop. Um, so I just want peace. So that's still something I'm still, I guess, struggling for is like just on a day to day basis, like, OK, do I feel at peace today? Do I feel calm today. And most of the time it's a no, if I'm being honest with myself, because there's still a lot to be stressed about. But it's like, but at the end of the day, reevaluating my priorities of, okay, but I'm healthy and I'm safe. My family's healthy and safe. And no one at work is positive today. So that's a victory in and of itself. So we take stock, not only of what has been lost, but in what remains. It's not a Pollyanna conclusion or even a glass half full sort of ending. It's something that's kept us alive and fighting. It's something that I heard over and over again in everyone I spoke to. And that's gratitude. I never knew that that virus would do so much damage. And that made me stop and look at self, but it also made me appreciate there is a reason for what. And if there's a reason for everything, it's time for me to stop and pay what? Attention. Taught me that uh, I had a good life. I didn't really appreciate it when I had it, but now that I got to try to regain it, it was very precious. What is it that you want to do to live a better life? To be there for them, for my daughters because I got four daughters. 
and I got nine grandkids. Oh my gosh. Oh, what a feeling. I cried. And then my granddaughter, Jem, she's crying. She goes, I know why you're crying. They're called tears of joy. I told you at the beginning there was this pressure cooker. And I thought it was going to explode, but it didn't. I think the human spirit just came up and people went through it amazing. I mean, there was more tension. There was, you know, a lot more suffering and sadness. We can talk all about that. But the, but the way that people lifted themselves up and came into a sense of acceptance. Well, here we are. You know, it's a disease all around us. But here we are, and we got to make the best of it. If I'm going to hold on to anything, it's to, to hold on to that inner commitment. To God, to the light, you know, whatever you want to call it. Where is God for you right now? Just walking. Just walking patiently being around people. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that changes all our need are lost but trust and now I'm found as well I see thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you that was Bonchevi. a good one thank you <laughs> that does it for this episode of Church Meets World. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. To hear future episodes, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to leave us a review. You can also let your friends and family know about the show. We'll be back with all new episodes in the weeks ahead. Church Meets World is a production of America Media. This episode was written and produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo De Silva. Production assistance from Amelia Jarecki and Kevin Christopher Robles. It was engineered by Ashley Spillane. You can support the Church Meets World podcast and all of our podcasts and all of our work at America by subscribing to americamagazine.org. Thanks for your support and thanks for listening.